Welcome to Queer Longing, a podcast where we discuss and explore everything that we're longing for and living for in our queer community. I'm Lucy Cecil. And I'm Olivia Taylor. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) It never gets old. It never gets old. Honestly, that clip, by the way, we are referring to, if you don't know, um, and and if you don't, I feel sorry for you because you should. We're referring to what is an over 10 year old clip. Is it? J- yeah, JLS were on X Factor in 2008. Oh yeah, because it was when we were at uni. Yeah, it was. So this is a clip of JLS singing Last Christmas uh, when they were on X Factor. Um, and it gets to the bit where there's just, uh, it just goes, you know, Merry Christmas in the song. I don't, how it goes in the song is like way, way, way more understated. Can we, can we insert a clip of the bit? Yeah, good idea. I will insert the clip of it. But basically it, sh- it cuts to JB and he just goes, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! It's so out of place. Yeah, it's, 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 it's most just... like incongruous Merry Christmas, especially because JLS were positioned as like this very like cool aspirational band. Yes. And then it was just, yeah. yeah. But um, maybe it was like giving us a bit of an insight into his future as just like a very cheerful farmer. Absolutely. Yeah. I just think it's the, one of my favorite things ever. It gets better every single year. It's like on December the 1st, it's my tradition to wake up and watch like, watch that straight away. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I do. Like like a fine wine. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, yeah, we implore you to look it up. We'll put the clip in here, but uh, also watch it because it's very, very funny. Um, But anyway, yes. How are you? How's your week been? Um, yeah, good. Um, it's kind of nice to think that we're hurtling more towards Christmas because it's nice to feel like there is a port in a storm, um, even if, you know, that is laden with a lot of other anxieties and uncertainties. It's just quite nice in terms of like how we were talking off mic about how our concept of time is completely um, messed up now. I think that it's kind of really helping to sort of ground me in what time of year it is a little bit. So um, that's been quite nice. Been wrapping a couple of things, writing a few Christmas cards, um, sending a few things out. So that's that's been quite nice. Um, done um, a couple of um, Christmas boxes and things for some um charities that we're supporting this year and yeah just a few um little Christmassy bits to get ourselves in the mood very nice yeah I agree I think that um more than anything Christmas this year is like well it's an event isn't it for you know big Christmas fans like us and we love nothing more than an event and we haven't been able to have any events so it's at least an event that we can attend so (laughs) oh feels good and can I can I tell you, for all of you who have been um, wondering with bated breath how my mum's um, socially distanced Christmas fair went, well, the answer is very well. And it raised over £2,000. So that's fab. And I actually think that it could have raised more, but they had to do like the quickest turnaround ever and had hardly anybody baking anything. Like she baked 88 pies herself in like our kitchen. Um, wow. So, and loads of cakes and things. And so I think it was only like her and like one or two other people doing it. So I feel like if they did it again and had loads of bakers, they could just absolutely rake it in. So I was like, you could be on The Apprentice because you've really turned this around in not a very long space of time. Yes, High Lane Synergy, the team coming at you. <laughs> Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I don't oh, want yeah. the apprentice anymore, but one of my favorite things about the apprentice was always what they called them themselves, like what the team names were. I always thought it was so funny. Yeah. What's like a good queer apprentice group name? Uh Chromatica. <laughs> oh yeah, Chromatica. Strong um queer <laughs> metal. <laughs> All the the three pillars of a successful queer apprentice team name. Strong queer and metal, yeah, perfect. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, apart from um, dishing out the pies, what else have you been living and longing for this week? Well, I am living for. So, this is probably putting the cart a little bit before the horse, but it was the only thing that I could really think of um, for this week, and we will be getting into it in the body of the podcast, shall we say? But before we do that, I am living for. Aubrey Plaza in Happiest Season and Aubrey Plaza in general because my god I mean we'll talk about the film we've both watched it um we need to discuss and debrief but wow 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 I saw yes. a new side to her and yes I, I loved what I saw Let yes I think we all loved to see it. Um, yeah, we will discuss that further um, in our uh, later segment where we uh, piece by piece talk through uh, the newest queer holiday film, Happiest Season. But yes, I'll be very pleased to talk more about uh, Ms. Plaza at that time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you longing for? Well, I think kind of what I was saying before. So um, we record a week um in advance usually so where we're up to this week is that we're just about to come out of lockdown and go into tier three um but it does mean that i can be a little christmas elf and drop off some of my christmas cards and bits to local people in the area um in a socially distanced outside way but i literally haven't seen anybody this whole time other than like you know, Laura and my mum and stuff, basically. Yeah. So um, that'll be really nice just to drop off a few bits and just see people for like one second in their doorway. So um, yeah, I'm just longing for that. So I'm going to do that tomorrow um, and just be a, little, be a little holly jolly Christmas elf. So that'll be nice. <laughs> um, what are you living and longing for this week? Um, so I am... Well, it's a bit of like a wild living for, but I, again, you know, grasping at straws as we are often these days. Um, and I just sort of saw this and thought, yeah, you know what? I'm living for that. So I am living for the fact that um, Taylor Swift has decided to, I think she announced this a couple of weeks ago, but um, she has decided to re-record all of her early tracks in order to sort of take back control of uh, the ownership of them. Um, and... Uh, I think I just saw that like there's this new ad which has the new version of Love Story on it um, and it was just released I saw it on Twitter um, and I just thought yeah I'm living for like people taking back control of like their own creation because really um, she should own that stuff if she wants to and it's a whole like thing isn't it in the music industry and in, in, the, in like most a lot of entertainment industry uh, and I think that it must be quite hard to feel like you don't control or own the things that you've created and obviously like you've created them with lots of different people and there's lots of people involved with that but um and I don't know profess to know the ins and outs but in general it just made me think yeah I I agree with uh taking back control of your own stuff so yeah yeah because didn't she say she was going to do that a couple of years ago I think she said it and then sort of like 
more recently has released a statement saying that she is like definitely starting to do it um and that that she had been in talks with um so initially it was like scooter braun and then now they're owned it's all owned by some other company have bought it off scooter braun um and that she wasn't like sort of getting anywhere with talking about it so um she has decided to like fully do it i guess um so yeah no i just uh thought that i was um I was uh, pleased to see that. Um, and I'm also, I'm really interested to listen to all of the new re-records and see like if there's any differences and stuff. She says that she's obviously going to put in some like surprises and Easter eggs. So that'll be funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely one for a little Easter egg, isn't she? So that'll be nice. She is. And I am longing for, um, so I'm sure you've seen, we've put it on our Instagram, which I know means that you've seen and you know, uh, that there are a couple of Euphoria bridging episodes coming out, which are going to be released in December. Um, and the first one, I think, which is called Rue, uh, which is following the character of Rue, is out this weekend. But December we'll already, the 6th. Yeah, no. will already be out when this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't watched it, you didn't know that they were doing some bridging episodes between the seasons then um get watching because i'm sure it is bound to be brilliant just have like seen, this, the first season was have you seen the trailer for this i haven't seen the trailer i went to like uh press play on it uh yesterday and then my nephew ran in the room and i uh, had to attend to that instead <laughs> so i haven't <laughs> does it look um, good I, um, yeah it's very good and um definitely does um pique my excitement for the new series because I think I kind of watched it all in one go when it came out last time so it just feels like such a long time um coming but I there's going to be obviously a lot a lot of breaks with um new series because of COVID and I've been watching the new This Is Us and I think I got four episodes in and they were like there's not going to be any more until mid-January and I was like oh god <laughs> like <laughs> screaming into the wind um <laughs> how could you do this Telly, you just get so attached in lockdown. It's like really things that kind of keep you going. I'm so sad now that there's no more Bake Off. Can't believe oh, that. Oh yeah. What did you think of the Bake Off finale? I thought it. I thought it was good, and I was really pleased that the person uh, who won won. Are you trying to avoid spoilers? <laughs> yeah, in case your sister's listening and watches Bake Off. <laughs> well, I think you can rest assured she doesn't listen. <laughs> Um, I uh, was like a bit sort of like uh, about the final three and thought that it was like a bit boring um, and that I liked Laura a lot but I didn't think she was going to be like able to win um, and, No and, and that, that was a shame really because I really liked her too but I felt like she was on borrowed time for like yes. the past like four episodes before that yeah. so I was really surprised that she got to the final like I was pleased for her because I really like her as a person but I was really shocked that she stayed in it till that far but if it had to come down to her dave and peter definitely peter yes same and i was absolutely turned to team peter in the final episode when he used the word techers for techniques instead of saying techniques so oh yes he was he was my number one from that point onwards approve approve and also he is absolutely obsessed with christmas did you know how many christmasy things he made across the whole series like seven things all about christmas so many christmas things that was cute yeah he's, <laughs> he's a sweetheart so yeah well done good good job um yeah so those are the bits that i'm living along for so as always there's been um quite a lot going on in the world of queer news this week so lucy could you give us uh, the headlines for this week 
Yes. So um, in the news this week has been some disappointing news in terms of uh, trans healthcare in England and Wales. Um, uh, The High Court ruled um, that uh, essentially there will be a ban on the main form of clinical care for trans people under 16, which are puberty blockers. So puberty blockers are used um, for mainly for under 16 before they reach puberty um, or as they begin to uh, reach puberty uh, in order to help with dysphoria and to sort of give individuals time to decide uh, what they want to do going forward. And they're a really, really important part of uh, trans healthcare um, as a, uh, you know, as a young person growing up and the high court have basically ruled that, um, children of this age or individuals of this age, um, aren't able to consent to having those puberty blockers and therefore they shouldn't be have, shouldn't have them. Um, and it's quite an uh, interesting case. Um, I watched a really, really great, uh, video on IGTV by Sean Fay, who's a trans activist and writer who uh, speaks really eloquently about lots and lots of different things. Um, but she did a really great about 15 minute video um, about this case and about what it sort of means for trans youth um, and why it's like an attack on bodily autonomy and why it's um, a big step backwards for the country and for, uh, for, um, trans youth and for health trans healthcare so i will link to that video because i think she explains it far better than i could um but she sort of uh speaks about how it kind of came about from one individual case um and how an action like a court action for one individual case can then change the futures and lives of thousands tens of thousands of other people and future trans people going forward yeah, and especially pertinent, you know, at the moment in terms of the message that it sends out to um, society at large off the back of all of these increased um, attacks and hate crimes um, towards trans people. So obviously, you know, by doing something like this, it's it's a public declaration um, that, you know, that trans people can't have um, bodily autonomy in the same ways that cishet people might be granted it um, or just having, you know, it's not even discussed. It's, it's an unquestioned part of growing up, entering puberty and um, everything else that, that, that follows. So um, yeah, I think it's an especially damaging time for something like this to, um, to be happening. Yeah, and um, really sort of importantly, uh, she raises the issue that this um, sort of uh, ruling will just lead to um, the widening of the of like the class divide between people who can go afford to still have the treatment they want and need um, and go abroad and do it and children and individuals, even, you know, adults and stuff who won't aren't able to do that um and won't have access to that kind of healthcare that they need um and how damaging that is going forward it's just a really really disappointing news yeah and it and it and it does seem you know as as always that a lot of people who are criticizing um this are the people who have never had to experience this firsthand and never have to go through this this process so why criticize something that you have no experience of um that's the kind of bizarre twist in the tale of all of this you know that it's not 
it's not affecting your life you you have no personal experience of this so how could you possibly be able to legislate on what's right or wrong for for, for these people for whom like you you don't have that that shared experience in in any way or, or personal understanding in in any way so you can only think that if that's not the case then you know unfortunately it is um a result of something more more sinister or at least unfair absolutely and and like like i said um it's unfortunate especially that it's coming after um an increased level of um attacks against trans people i don't know if you've seen in the news this week that um Laverne Cox was subject to a transphobic attack. So um, she and her friend were out on a socially distanced walk when she was um, approached aggressively by um, a man who was asking Cox whether or not she was um, a girl or a guy. And um, her friend tried to um, defend Laverne Cox and then um, the man who'd approached them got got violent and ended up hitting the friend several times um and you know this is in this is in daylight you know in the middle of the day in a park where you sort of believe that you're going to be relatively safe and something like this happens so kind of brazenly and and, and out of nowhere it's just really really um di- disturbing and just just so so sad yeah, it's terrible to hear that story, um, as it always is. Every single time we hear a story, and every single time we hear a story, to think of all the stories that we don't hear, um, and therefore it's um, disappointing to see that you know legislation in our own country is not uh, moving in the way that it should be for progress for these for for everyone. Um, so uh, yeah, um, I would recommend again watching that Sean Fay video um she very uh <laughs> very sort of hilariously puts at the end of near the end of the video that um she talks about like you know what can you do um if you want to be an ally and what can you do as a f- if you have if you're a friend of trans people etc and she mainly says you know it's about education make sure that you inform yourself about everything particularly about trans children because a lot of people um you know, feel like they maybe know quite a lot about trans adults, etc., but know less about trans children or feel less certain about knowing what that process is, etc. And that there's loads of great uh, um, educational tools out there to learn um, about what the what it what the experience is like for trans kids. Um, and she particularly points to Gendered Intelligence, which is a really great charity. Um, so if you're thinking of um, you want to help out, want to give any money to a good cause, they are brilliant. Um, mermaids are brilliant too, but uh, gendered intelligence gets a lot less um, sort of uh, support. So they're definitely a great cause to, to uh, look into. Um, and she, she talks about, she just said this line, which I thought was really funny, uh, where she says, she's like talking about, you know, if you have trans friends and you want to sort of check in, uh, she's sort of like, you know, when people, you know, they'll message me and they'll be like, when there's some trans news and they'll be like, oh, are you okay, etc. And she's, and she says, yes, I'm fine. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to Pinot Grigio. <laughs> and I just thought that's so brilliant. Um, <laughs> and she is a really, really great person to follow on social media and stuff to get uh, really eloquent and succinct explanations of things that you might find kind of complicated, but also with some nice dashes of humor as well. So is there any other queer news that you would like to mention, Olivia? Well, I think that um, everybody has 
probably seen that um, Elliot Page came out as trans this past week. So um, that is um, some news that came a couple of days ago via social media. So their post reads, my name is Elliot. I feel lucky to be writing this, to be here, to have arrived at this place in my life. I feel overwhelming gratitude for the incredible people who have supported me along this journey. I can't begin to express how remarkable it feels to finally love who I am enough to pursue my authentic self. I've been endlessly inspired by so many in the trans community. Thank you for your courage, your generosity, and ceaselessly working to make this world a more inclusive and compassionate place. I will offer whatever support I can and continue to strive for a more loving and equal society. I also ask for patience. My joy is real, but it is also fragile. The truth is, despite feeling profoundly happy right now and knowing how much privilege I carry, I am also scared. I'm scared of the invasiveness, the hate, the jokes, and the violence. To be clear, I am not trying to dampen a moment that is joyous and one that I celebrate, but I want to address the full picture. The statistics are staggering. The discrimination towards trans people is rife, insidious and cruel, resulting in horrific consequences. In 2020 alone, it's been reported that at least 40 transgender people have been murdered, the majority of which were black and Latinx trans women. To the political leaders who work to criminalise trans healthcare and deny our right to exist, and to all of those with a massive platform who continue to spew hostility towards the trans community, you have blood on your hands. You unleash a fury of vile and demeaning rage that lands on the shoulders of the trans community. A community in which 40% of trans adults report attempting suicide. Enough is enough. You aren't being cancelled. You are hurting people. I am one of those people and I won't be silent in the face of your attacks. I love that I am trans and I love that I am queer. And the more I hold myself close and fully embrace who I am, the more I dream, the more my heart grows and the more I thrive. To all trans people who deal with harassment, self-loathing, abuse, and the threat of violence every day, I see you, I love you, and I will do everything I can to change this world for the better. Thank you for reading this. All my love, Elliot. Yeah, I think such a powerful and um, wonderful like message uh, that they've written. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, great that they are, you know, fully, fully like felt ready to come out and um fully embrace themselves and i think that uh their message is clear and uh you know they know there's a lot of work to be done um and they're ready to fight for it which is great yeah and what um what a powerful and articulate voice to have um within that community you know um it's only it's only a positive that um, they can lend their voice um, to everything that's going on at the moment. And as they uh, rightly say, the horrific crimes against um, trans people as, you know, the, the backdrop to their, to their coming out um, makes it all the more important to be um, lending that, that voice for good. So um, yeah, it must be a really big day and week um for them so sending them a lot of love and yeah you know hopefully a lot of positives will will come from this obviously this is their um their personal identity and their personal kind of not to use the word journey but um without another word to use journey but also you know really really brilliant that um they can lend their voice and um support to this community and we've also seen this week that Sudanese model Awang Adechul um, is on the front cover 
of Elle alongside her wife. Um, and this is um, in order to fight homophobia. So Aweng Adechul is um, a supermodel. She's now lesbian. And um, earlier this year, she attempted to end her life after um, a barrage of anti-LGBTQ plus comments. So in South Sudan, um, where she's from, same-sex same sex marriage remains illegal and is punishable by up to 10 years in prison. Um, and then it was um, in 2006 where Adechul and her family relocated to um, Sydney where they received asylum. And um, when she announced her marriage to the press earlier this year, um, she said that the backlash from her home country was um, was really hostile. And when um, Elle magazine approached her for the cover of its January 2021 issue, um, she said that she saw it as another opportunity to fight back. So, quote, I wish I could say, let me hold the torch for the LGBTQIA plus Sudanese community, she told the publication. But it's a lot for one person to handle. I'm human at the end of the day. I'm very human. I'm learning myself. And despite everything she's been through in the past year, um, she's ending 2020 on an undoubtedly positive note. So she and her wife were featured in a polo Ralph Lauren holiday campaign, which also um, starred another gay couple and celebrated queer families. And we see them kissing and holding hands as they walk down New York City streets. And she says, we've chosen each other and now we'll have our own family. So a bit of positive news um, on the Queer News Desk to end with this week. Yeah, that is lovely. I've seen the cover. It's a, you know, stunning, powerful image. They are kissing on the front, which I think is like a big, you know, it's a big deal to put that on the front of like any magazine cover. I mean, you know, should it be? No, but it is. Um, and I was in the local M&S in where I'm staying and I saw it loud and proud. And I was like, yes, love to see that in the M&S of horseship. Yeah. <laughs> nestled amongst the Percy pigs which yeah. by the way can we talk about I don't know if anybody's come across this but M&S TikTok what so <laughs> M&S I feel like M&S TikTok was made like solely for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah the algorithm has reached me but M&S M&S TikTok is amazing it's what do I they do who, I don't know who runs it but it is amazing. So the ama- yeah, I know, but the individual who runs it. But yes, yes, yes. I need to know because basically it has like um, humans dressed as like full human-sized Percy pigs um, pretending that they're in Zoom meetings and just like chilling out on the sofa reading the like, M&S food magazine. And then they're like asked to like present something about Percy pigs and they're like, oh God. And then they like put them their like video back on and stuff it's so <laughs> stupid but it's oh so and, uh, oh my god <laughs> there's someone who always who always comments on the MS tiktoks every time saying MS tiktok hits different and it really does it's so good right i just have one uh, the clubs need to open we need to get out there <laughs> we need to get back out there we've got to, we've got to stop this right just just pause and just go on M&S TikTok quickly. Do I have to? I don't have TikTok. Oh, you don't have TikTok? No, I don't have TikTok. I don't want to go down that slippery slope. I have, I have Candy Crush instead. <laughs> okay, I'll send you something later. Yeah, please do. 
And now it's time for the main event, the headline headliner of this episode. Uh, let's talk crap Christmas films. You're giving the game away. <laughs> So, well, no. Firstly, we watched, didn't we? And we talked about in the last pod that we were going to watch Christmas on the Square. Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, no less. Olivia, could you please provide a review of uh, Christmas on the Square by Dolly Parton for the, for the, for the audience? Well, look, Lucy, Chris, it's very difficult because like we always say, we, we don't do this podcast to be disparaging about works of art that people have spent a long time dreaming up a long um, time? <laughs> time let's say time dreaming up um and i just don't always think it's like the best way uh, to be if i can help it especially not when it is something that is um especially when it's something that dolly parton is behind because i don't want to be that person yeah, so it's, it's very difficult because love Dolly Parton, love that she's given a million pounds to help fight COVID, love that she's an absolute hun of the ages. Um, I actually listened to her on Table Manners um, that just came out and she was so fab in that and she was talking about all the food that she likes and she was just being a sweet angel. So it's very, it's with a heavy heart that I have to say that Christmas on the Square is pure, unadulterated trash. Yes, Um I mean, we did, I think it came out from my own lips last week on the pod that I said that Dolly Parton can do no wrong or has done no wrong yet. And little did I know, <laughs> just round the corner on the Christmas square was her wrongdoings. No, I mean, t- to be honest, she may not have had probably that much to do with it in a sense. She definitely wrote all the songs. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's only piece of the parcel, isn't it? And she was a stunning angel in many, many thousand rhinestones. And I did love to see her in a Christmas spirit way. But the film as a whole, the plot, the, the, message, the messaging behind a lot of the like morality plots yes. were really questionable. Very so, questionable. Like, obviously the biggest example of this is that, so it's a sort of traditional um, holiday film conceit that kind of woman who makes it big in the big city comes back to her hometown to like do something so she's come back to um sell the town basically from under the the feet of all of the very noble and moral townsfolk and she's kind of positioned as having absolutely absolutely no heart not being like her father who was the one who like owned and ran the town before her and who who had died but then you find out that she had a child when she was a teenager and that the dad inexplicably just like ripped the child away from her and she's always been made to carry this guilt about that for decades past. Yeah. What? And that and that's kind of condoned. That's kind of condoned. And then it's 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 a whole. I think as as Sophie was saying, a dad apologist narrative where we actually see that you know he isn't this tyrant and that he just was trying to protect her and he loved her all along. Um, no, not no. sure about that. Not no. sure about that as, as as a plot device. Didn't feel like it was very responsible. Didn't feel like it was giving her any kind of agency felt like it was compounding these issues that she had around guilt for this teenage pregnancy and 
it just wasn't okay. No, it was not okay. Um, you've you've put it very very well there. Um, yeah, just would not watch again. Wouldn't recommend even as a first watch. Um, I, uh, the the only thing that I really enjoyed was the fact that it was sort of so lazy that the the local pastor was called Pastor Christian, which I just thought was so <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, but that's in itself lazy. So um, yeah not not a big fan um but you know i'm you know i'm glad we we saw it and we 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 lived to to tell about it so also visually it's very sound stagey so i did feel like a runner could have like run across with a headset on a clipboard and i wouldn't have been surprised it felt very much like it was in a studio which yes it's it's fine if it's not like a big budget production but i was just very uh i i wasn't really like swept away to middlesville or whatever it was called um (laughs) very very easily so maybe give that one a miss and watch a new york christmas wedding instead which is stunning absolutely so we mentioned it at the top of the show we have both now watched um happiest season which is the film that we talked about in previous episodes i think uh very recently um which was the new film from Claire Duval, written, directed, starring Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis as a lesbian couple. And it sort of, you know, was billed as a queer rom-com holiday film. Um, And we spoke before about sort of it being a coming out narrative and how that was sort of disappointing, but like that we were going to watch it, see what it was about um, and see what it had to say. So um, Olivia, what did you think? What a question. So the feelings that I have towards this film are complicated and layered and diverse. Um, This is because, so first of all, absolutely thrilled that a mainstream positioned queer film has been put into the position that it's been in. It's on Hulu. It's broken all of the records for a Hulu film premiere, which is amazing. And it's definitely um, definitely a really sort of positive overall message, which is hopefully then going to have that trickle-down effect because obviously the powers that be need to see the numbers and need to see the success of, of um, these films in a mainstream sense. And that then um, inspires confidence, which means that other films will be made and other series will be made that celebrates queer characters and queer relationships. So in that sense, I'm really happy that this film exists and I think it is a good thing. However, watching the film as a queer person who you know has shared in and has heard of a lot of people's you know coming out stories whenever you make a new friend whenever you're in a new relationship you always find out you know what people's stories are how they've come to be who they are and what's kind of happened in their histories to get kind of get them to where they are today and I understand that for a lot of people those stories can differ massively and I understand Clea's point of view that you know not everybody does have a positive experience. And for a lot of us, there is a lot of repression. There's a lot of lies. There's a lot of internalized homophobia. And, you know, I I can relate to a lot of aspects of that. And I'm sure a lot of people can. Um, So I, I understand it. I understand why maybe that was a consideration and and a decision that was maybe coming from um, some personal experiences or experiences of people that that they knew. But do I think that when positioning a queer love story 
in terms of a holiday film and knowing the people that it's going to reach and how it's going to um, kind of leave a cultural legacy, is it the best decision to um, to focus a story on characters who do hold all of that internalized hom- homophobia? We do see characters who don't treat each other very well um we do see a lot of gaslighting we do see a lot of emotional abuse and is that the best foot forward that we can be putting when this is going to be in the living rooms of a lot of people who don't normally see these stories represented so obviously us ourselves as members of the queer community don't see these stories represented but certainly people outside of that community don't so is that the best thing for those people? And also for us, you know, shouldn't we deserve to have a happy, positive story about two women in love who value each other in the way that they should be valued without all of this pain, gaslighting and emotional abuse that we sort of have to overcome for the treat of them magically getting back together at the end, by which point you're so uninvested in their love story because it's so toxic that you do, it's not a happiest season at no. all. It's, 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 it's the opposite. So um, for me, in terms of the plot and the messaging around it, I found it really, um, really quite hard going. And the, the payoff at the end of, of them sort of being together was not, was not enough for me and it didn't feel right to me that that they end up together and I know that obviously that is the conceit and the structure of a lot of holiday Christmas films and I understand why Duval wanted to follow that but I don't believe that you can create that level of trauma and unrest within a relationship and get the audience to buy into them being together in a healthy way at the end. Absolutely. Um, completely agree. Um, uh, the, yeah, because you don't see the, the beginning, the flourishing of their relationship is all in like told in the beginning credits through like some animation, like some, you know, some pictures and stuff. So you don't have any buy-in into believing that they are really like in love with each other. Um, you just have so that, get... that one night where they're on the roof and they've like yeah. had some drinks. Yeah, which is like quite nice. But like, um, you don't, you don't like it just immediately is basically like loads of toxic behavior, like you said, and, and a not very pleasant relationship. Um, and like, I, I think, yeah, when I get that, you know, they wanted to sort of use the archetypal Christmas rom com film, like play and play out, and they wanted to make it queer, um, and they wanted to tell a story which relates to a lot of queer people's holiday uh, experience or even just experience in general. But I, I mean, I do think like you said, you know, where is our joy? Where is our joy? Like we deserve to have joy and Christmas and holiday season is, they're supposed to be like joyous films. There was like no joy in this for the queer people, basically. Um, apart from, I'll get onto it, the like queer friendships, but, um, the like, the, when you make, I think, art or you know films music etc blah 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 as a queer person sort of for queer people because of like the world we live in because of how things are you when you're representing a marginalized community you do sort of have a responsibility to deliver like what like well just to deliver in general (laughs) like to create something that like is for your community i i don't know i just felt like it was 
trying well i mean it tries too hard to be a million different things which is another problem it's like yeah doing a thousand different things at one thousand million it's not it's not it's not it's not focused enough in in that regard like i think exactly like like you're saying if we take another example of um an archetypal christmas film so for example it's a wonderful life where we see um you know george bailey going through um the trials and tribulations of kind of looking back over his life and seeing what would have happened had he not existed and it's 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 a process that you are taken by the hand at the beginning of the film and taken on this kind of um, roller coaster ride of, of his life or what his life could have been um, if he wasn't part of his community. It gives you a different perspective. You learn along with the character and it's kind of a process. So by the time that it ends, you're fully invested in this character. You fully want them to understand how important they are and what they add to their family and their life and their community and that their life means something. So that when he kind of has this realization and appreciation for his life and those around him. Everybody is, is, is so bought into that, that it is a joyful ending, despite, you know, the drama that, that comes before it. But the difference here is that you don't really get the impression that anybody has massively learned anything. People are just papering over massive, massive cracks that really take a lot of time. And in this case, well, in Harper's case, a lot of therapy to, unpack like when we see the bit towards the end where dan levy the the friend of of abby of christian stewart comes to kind of rescue her from this toxic family christmas um she says to him i want to be with someone who's ready and i kind of thought then oh you know have we actually reached um a, a sensible conclusion here that actually like this is not the right thing doesn't mean that harper's an evil person everybody goes through their own um journeys with coming out on their own timelines but you could see how um christian stewart's character abby was being um systematically kind of abused emotionally and was um having to endure this over days and weeks and possibly years of their of their relationship and then within 30 seconds that was just all resolved because they had a big fight with the painting in the living room and they were kissing again. And I just couldn't buy into that as, as a healthy turnaround because we hadn't gone through any kind of um, resolution or, or understanding from any of the characters. It just kind of was okay again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the issues, uh, one of the reasons why it doesn't really flow in the right way is that like the main arch of like the uh, what do I do the character development stuff happens to Harper but we follow um, Abby so yeah you, you, that's like in my opinion like the wrong way to do it because then you, you just see her as the, the which we care the most about Abby which is like you know yeah. she's having the shittest time and Harper's just the cause of all of her pain yeah but Harper is the one going through the the character development and it is the one facing the crises and she's the one we should really be following but like we don't follow her so it's a bit weird so she just seems like an absolute like toxic yeah. girlfriend you're, and you're like completely distanced from from her yeah. experiences yeah and I think like there is you know there's ways to write people that they are having these really hor- hard and really tough like family crises and um, crises of identity um, without them being like bad girlfriends like without them being a bad person to the person that they love like you can have both things like the the one of the main things about this is every single character apart from abby and like uh, john um and um riley or be or be plaza's 
part were like completely unredeemable like horrible people oh and jane i thought jane was fine and they were just all so horrible to each other that you just don't care about any of them (laughs) i saw i saw a post that was campaigning for a jane spin-off and if there's going to be any kind of sequel to this which apparently clear devala said is is not out of the realms of possibility god it needs to be either all about jane and Jane's massive literary success, which I was yes. so pleased for at the end, or um, a spin-off where actually Harper is having a lot of therapy, doing a lot of crafts somewhere very separate, and Abby and Riley are embarking on um, the absolute true romance of their lives together Woo! and having the best time drinking spiced rum in a bar with Ben de la Creme and Jinx Monsoon. Yeah, so speaking of, um, so like... I got like basically no like Christmas feels or queerness feels basically from it, apart from the best, like the most, the queerest bit and the Christmas Christmasy bit was that scene in the in the in the queer bar yeah. um, because it was safe, it was comfortable, it was what queer likeness is. It was they're like, actually a, being nice to each other and yeah, having fun. It was actually people being nice, having fun and having like a pint, and there being just like lights and fun and dance and music and people all together. And I just like was like, yeah, this is this is it. They got that right, and I think they got like some of the queer sort of friendship stuff right. Like her her bond with um, Abby's bond with John is really nice, and like how they sort of lean on each other, and he does come to like sort of rescue her and stuff. That is that is nice. There is this sort of like uh, you know. Uh, element of talking about like you know found family and the fact that that's what abby has and stuff but again you have harper who has no one to turn to in in her crises as a friend and she's the one who like is having the the the, like really like turbulent time um and and i just think that like um ultimately the like story sort of sent the message that like it was obsessed with um what the fam like she was obsessed with what her family thought which is like her whole thing right and then the the sort of end of it is basically it was like obsessed with like assimilating their queerness into their conservatism as opposed yes. to yes like, yes them as the conservative people changing their ways to allow for their queerness and that's just not on in my opinion like just so not what, okay what really really compounds this that exact thing for me is at the very very end we see them all having this christmas um together and you know like a running thread throughout the film is that the mum always wants to get a family photograph and at the very very end um they all get together to do the photograph and john and abby hang back and then eventually, um, I think it's maybe the the dad or the mum or some, but one of the parents says, Abby, what are you doing? You need to come and join in the family photo, which is meant to be kind of like, I assume, this heartwarming moment where you're meant to think, oh, Abby's finally accepted. It's all fine. Let the, let the camera zoom out over the town and let it be a Merry Christmas to one and all. But actually... The person who should have been including Abby from the very beginning of the whole thing with the photograph is Harper. Thank and you. Harper was just stood there silently waiting for her family to okay Abby being a part of the, the family. And I think, you know, that just goes to show she still hasn't learned anything. She still hasn't had her kind of, for want of a better phrase, come to Jesus moment where she you know backs herself and backs her relationship like she's not she's not in that space yet and until she's in that space you're going to see abby consistently rejected in these kind of micro ways that will just you know chip and chip and chip away and nothing's actually kind of changed so 
when she meets Riley and they have this ease of friendship they have um, a lot of sort of common experiences um, in terms of how they've both been treated by Harper it turns out that Riley's been treated similarly has been um, Gasler has been has been shamed in order to in order for Harper to conceal her own queerness and um, the fallout of that is that they you know broke up lost any kind of relationship or friendship and you know that bond is, has been severed ever since and I just think it just would have been better for everyone if Abby hadn't returned to the house that night and they'd have stayed in that bar together and just had a, a Thelma and Louise running away, you know, sequel. That's what I am going to be tuning back in for. So clear, if you do decide to do a sequel, please make it about that. Or just like the life and times of Riley as a gorgeous doctor wearing gorgeous um, tailored power suits, because I'd be there for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were um, the power couple that never was. Um, yeah, I think, it, yeah, it just was incredibly disappointing. Like like you say, you know, she, uh, Harper's character does not seem to have actually, like, at all come to terms with what she needs to come to terms with. Like, she only ultimately, like, tells the truth after she's been outed by her sister. Also, not a good trope. I hate, like, that that was used as well, that she was essentially outed, um, and that's what actually made her face up to it. I mean, initially she even lies then and then she still has to like come to it later, which is like, you yeah. know, it does happen and stuff. I, I, I get that, but it's not, oh, I don't know. It's just so frustrating to see again. And like, you know, ultimately her decision and sort of her, her redeemable, her like redemption is supposed to be that we believe that she doesn't care what her family thinks anymore um and that she cares the most about abby you know when she goes and like tracks her down at the the petrol station when she's leaving and it's like well if you really cared and you said no i don't care about my family like i care about you you would both be in the car back to pittsburgh having your own christmas like or something show that you like you don't just need to go back and do the family photo and stuff like you said it's just uh yeah no not <laughs> not the one i don't think um but uh yes mvp aubrey plaza everyone's talking about it it's the truth um and uh more than anything i took away from the film the fact that i want to wear lots of like tailored clothes which i never thought i did and that i want to have like cocktails and champagne in like dimly lit rooms <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've worn anything tailored for God. I, I just I don't even I think I've worn a jacket in about a year. God no. <laughs> so I think I'm a far cry from Aubrey Plaza levels, but we can aspire. We can, we can. And actually, um, my I don't agree with it this week is the fact that. Abby and Harper end up together. So like I said, please, um, we need to all be um, signing petitions for a Riley and Abby spin-off because we all know it's the best way and it's the only way. I completely agree. And I also don't agree with it. And I don't think we're going to find anything more this week that we don't agree with in any bigger way. So that's our joint. I don't agree with it for this week. I don't agree with it. So actually, Olivia, um, I've got... I can't believe we haven't mentioned it yet. I mean, we were all happy a season. Now that's out of the way. Uh, it's time to talk about it. It's Spotify on rap day. <laughs> Have you got your top five artists? <laughs> Just right. Sorry to be a bit of a Scrooge about this, but who cares? 
interesting i think this is like such a polarizing thing because like i i get like why people are like who cares but i also really am like uh yeah fine share it who cares like you know what i mean so i like don't care either way and i do find it interesting to see which things i've listened to the most yeah, I find it interesting about myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't yeah. mildly, but I already kind of know, and it's just going to be like all Lady Gaga and Carly Rae Jepsen, which it was. Um, but I don't really care. Like, I don't care. It's like some. It's like basically, if four hundred of my Instagram followers all showed me exactly what they ate for lunch on stories, but like ten stories of it. It's like, maybe if one person does it, I might be like, oh, nice, nice panini. But I I just don't care enough to see that volume of detail about what you've listened to across a year. Interesting. I'm not, I'm not offended. Well, I sound like I'm offended by it. I'm I'm not, I'm not offended by it, but I just, um, just because you can share something doesn't mean you need to true true i guess for me um it like just lines up with that that thing i've talked about before on the podcast where i want to go to a huge hangar and see how many of each food in my life i've eaten it's like the same thing but music so um to me very interesting and i'm like a bit interested to see some people's but i'm not like i don't you know don't live for it um but i do like to see what mine are um and yes, mine was a lot of Gaga, uh, Kyra yeah. Jepsen, Kim Petras, etc. So uh, not not surprising at all. Uh, so anyway, apart from listening to your Spotify unwrapped, uh, what else have you been listening to? What uh, are not your top tracks, I'm guessing? And what is your track of the week? <laughs> yeah, so it's not my top track because I have just discovered it. And it is um, Space Girl by Francis Forever. Have you listened to this song? Yes, I do know that song. That's a really yeah. cute song. It's such a cute song and I thought it was very apropos for this podcast because it is very queer longing. So Space Girl, I saw a lunar eclipse, looked like how I feel about your lips. Space Girl, the only way that we'd end was if you were sucked into a black hole, but I'd still spend my days dreaming about you. So um, it's very sweet. It's very, um, very Gen X and it's very TikTok. So that's probably why... I'm enjoying it so much. And also um, a lot of people are doing really cute dances to it. It's just a cute song. Nice. Very good one. I like that. What's yours, Lucy? Is it as cute as mine? Uh, I wouldn't say it's cute, but it's good. Um, <laughs> my track is um, a song called Thunder Thighs by Moonchild Sonelli. This is an absolute banger my god um so moonshot sonali is a south african artist um and she sings this song thunder thighs which is just such a bop gets me like moving makes me want to be in the club um and uh i put it straight onto my like get ready playlist which is my playlist of songs i like to listen to when i get ready to go out but at the moment it's my playlist i get i listen to when i feel like i should be going out but i can't um but i still want to get in that zone and then get very sad but you know it's fine it's still the fun bit first so um yeah no it's an absolute bop um i would recommend listening to if you want to feel sort of motivated i think it would make a very good running song actually if you want to oh okay will you send it to me after this I and will. i'll add it to my list i will yeah so that is my track of the week and as always 
please do get in touch with us. Get in touch with us um, about what your queer apprentice team name would be. We would love to hear it. We could maybe add that in as a bit of a strand on Queer Longing. Who knows? We're always looking for new ideas. So we are at Queer Longing on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you want to email us, do you have a scathing critique of Happiest Season that you would like to add into the mix? Or did you absolutely love it and want to fight its corner? We just want to hear from you. And we are queerlonging at gmail.com. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear from you. And whilst we daydream of a Abby Riley spin-off film, we will be loving you, leaving you, and longing for you. Until next time. Bye. Okay, I'm gonna go because I'm really, really hungry. Same. All right. Okay. Um oh, the libs have not replied, have they? No. Little libs left us out in the cold. Well, I wonder if you know.